RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Hi, this is Chase Masterson, and you're listening to PriorityOnePodcast.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Gameprint.net. We thank them and our patrons for their support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 405 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report from the Star Trek multiverse, recorded live on Tuesday, March 19th, 2019, and available for download or streaming on Friday, March 22nd, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Anthony. All right, Kenna, why don't you tell us what we've got coming up this week? This week, we're trekking out another cast addition to Star Trek's Picard series. Then, two Star Trek Discovery stars won't make it to season three. One guest won't be around until after this season. And a familiar uniform is set to return. In Star Trek Online and gaming news, we have a new Mirror Universe ship in the latest R&D promotion. And console players can claim some free items. I'm chatting to Chase Masterson with Scott Palm about the latest endeavors by the Pop Culture Hero Coalition, and in our on-screen segment, we're discussing Star Trek Discovery Season 2, Episode 9, Project Daedalus. Of course, as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. That's right, Captains. Remember that those hailing frequencies are always open, and we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. You can even send us an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And as we do every week, Captains, we got to take a moment to thank our patrons, because without their ongoing support, the production of this show simply would not be possible. So if you're interested, be sure to visit us over at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. There, you'll see several tiers for which you can contribute to Priority One Podcast and be rewarded in return. For instance, at just $5 a month, you can join us in a Google Hangout chat to discuss Star Trek Discovery and any other Trek that might come up in discussion. And at $10, you get an entirely new, separate podcast, unedited, unscripted, just us talking about what we're feeling with the latest episode of Discovery. So be sure to check that out over at patreon.com forward slash priority one. We also want to let you know about an upcoming event from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Next week, Kenna will be appearing alongside Larry Nemechek from The Trek Files and Ken Ray from Mission Log discussing toxic online fan culture at WonderCon. That's Saturday, March 30th, 7 to 8 p.m. in Anaheim, California. And finally, we want to remind you that March is National Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, and the Roddenberry Foundation has teamed up with Chase Masterson's Pop Culture Hero Coalition. 
Every donation you make to Pop Culture Hero Coalition's Heroic Campaign, helping kids with serious disabilities in schools, will be matched dollar for dollar by the Roddenberry Foundation. For more information, go to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. Now, let's check out all the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. Sir Patrick Stewart's upcoming Picard series is starting to fill out its cast. On Wednesday, March 13th, Deadline reported that Evan Evagora was the latest addition to the Picard series. 20-year-old Australian native, Evagora is a relative newcomer to the acting scene logging work on the Australian political thriller Secret City and the upcoming horror film reimagining of Fantasy Island. For more on the announcement, check out our show notes. I personally am disappointed to find out that he was neither on Home and Away nor was he on Neighbors because that's that's really the hallmark of a truly great, you know, Australian actor destined for greatness. All of the greats. It's one of two camps. It's either Home and Away or its neighbors, but never both. You guys have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? They don't show them over here. They Both of those shows are amazing. I was a huge, like, I'm not much of a soap watcher, but those two shows um, are just like, uh, there isn't anything actually equivalent in America. So uh, I don't know how to describe it to you, but if you look at any Australian actor, who's made it big in Hollywood or, you know, in television, uh, chances are they were on one of those two shows. So what's interesting, too, is that uh, because he's so young, a few weeks ago we talked about the rumored character breakdown that was published. He could very well be playing the the Romulan, the 17-year-old Romulan character named Kabar. But, you know, again, until we get it from Deadline or something official, it's only speculation. No, this is going to be what it's like for the next, like, year to 18 months, isn't yep. it? It's pretty, we've been down it's pretty this road much, before. We've been down this road before. Every time somebody else gets announced. I'm not falling for, uh, was it Connor? Because Sam Bartholomew's, if you recall, for Discovery, was, was on every piece of marketing literature ever. And he died in the first episode of Discovery. Might be the second one. And again, halfway through the season, if you recall. So I'm not falling for any of this. I fully expect for poor Evan Evagora to last 15 minutes. Yeah, and th- that's the way the publicity machine works for Discovery or for CBS All Access Star Trek stuff. We get we get re- we get really hyped up about somebody playing a character, and then they come on to eat a hamburger. Speaking of one-off hamburgers, while the upcoming Picard series is adding cast members, currently running Star Trek Discovery is losing them. On Monday, March 18th, Deadline also reported that actors Anson Mount and Rebecca Romaine will not be returning for Discovery's third season. According to Deadline, sources close to the production said, quote, Mount and Romaine had strictly one-year deals. The duo had been contracted only for season two arcs as part of a plan to sync up Discovery with the original Star Trek lore by the end of the new series, second season, heading into season three, end quote. In an eyebrow-raising comment, a source close to the production told Deadline that, quote, we would love to find a way to work with Anson again, end quote. Could this mean we may see Mount reprise his role elsewhere? So, I'm not surprised by this. I th- I'm pretty sure Anson Mount said back in December that he was only going to be on for season two. And I, I know for myself, I fully expected it to just be a one 
series thing. I feel like the captain's chair of discovery is going to be a, a running joke throughout the season where every season we get a new captain. And as far as Romaine, she was in one scene so far? I don't know why anybody would be surprised she's not coming back for season three. Yeah, this is um, a huge, huge disappointment for me. Um, I don't think I'm surprised by Anson Mount. I would, l I, it's sort of wishful thinking for him to stay around longer because I think he's fantastic. I'm hoping that we will see Rebecca Romaine towards the end of this season again because wow, did we really not see her? And I think that is going to be, I mean, there was so much hype, especially amongst women, particularly feminist women that I know that we were really, really looking forward to seeing number one get to do something. And if she really doesn't come back for this season and she really doesn't come back next year, I'm going to be really, really disappointed. Yeah, I would much rather see a five-year mission with Christopher Pike aboard the Enterprise than continue on with this, the, the revolving door of Captains on Discovery. Anson Mount has been my favorite, favorite character and actor in this season of Discovery. And I am I am disappointed that he won't be coming back. I think he has brought to life a character that has lived in obscurity, who's been in obscurity being a pilot episode, and has fleshed out the character that, that established Star Trek, so to speak. So I think we should turn the question to our community. Would you like to see a spinoff series featuring Captain Pike? Be sure to leave your replies to our community question on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash PO405 or by replying to our social media posts like Facebook or Twitter. And now on to my favorite story for this entire episode. If you were wondering whether we'd see the controversial Harry Mudd in season two of Star Trek Discovery, wonder no more because we won't. During a panel at Emerald City Comic Con, moderated by Sci-Fi Wire's Tara Bennett, 53-year-old actor-comedian Wilson told the audience that there was a possibility of appearing in Discovery's sophomore season, but schedule conflicts kept him from the role. However, Rain also told fans that Harry Mudd's return is always a possibility. Unfortunately, the video from the panel was removed from the Sci-Fi story as well as the Emerald City Comic Con video link, but the article is linked in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. So here's something interesting about this, which um, I, I can't remember whether we've talked on this show about it or whether I've just had private conversations about it. So far, we've seen two of the four short treks make an appearance in Discovery. And I've always said that if Harry Mudd turns up towards the end of season two, then for sure we're definitely going to see Calypso as well, right? If they if they made it to three of four, then we were going to see all four. We now know that Harry Mudd is not appearing in the tail end of season two, which says to me there's a likelihood we're probably not going to see Calypso either, and that's one of the outstanding questions people keep asking about Discovery. When are they going to tie in Calypso into what's going on in this season? And it's kind of been a source of speculation. But with this news, I personally don't think we're going to see Calypso at all. And, you know, when you when you say something like that, it really disappoints me because that short trek with Harry Mudd could have been spent on something like a short trek for Arian. And we'll get into that a little more later. But if Rain Wilson's not coming back, what was the point of the short trek to tell what story? So that's that is very disappointing that that's resources and money that, that could have helped advance season two story in some way. I, I would like to point out that the writer for that short trek, Mike McMahon, is going to be the 
the creator and showrunner for Lower Decks, it's possible that that short trek was simply to give him a test run to see if if the story he pitched if if he would work well with the production team. But um, I mean, other than that, I, I I think you're right. I think if that short trek wasn't going to tie in, it could have been used for something else. Although we also don't know if we're going to see the one that Tilly was in as well um, with Poe. So so far, they've only tied in the Saru short trek. I don't even care so much about tying in, but about progressing a story, right? Moving a story forward. And if it was a test for McMahon, that's an expensive test. But moving on, Star Trek Discovery designer Gersha Phillips sat down with website The Daily Dot and discussed everything from Pike era uniforms to Burnham's Vulcan fashion, and even how Vina sported Kanye West's Yeezys. But what was most interesting was the revelation that the popular Starfleet scant was going to make a comeback. In reply to a question regarding the TNG Starfleet mini-dress, Gersha told the Daily Dot, quote, They haven't come out yet. They'll be later in the season. I was looking for a particular character to do it on, and we didn't have anybody specific. It'll come up closer to the end, but we did do it, and we will try to do it going forward. The tunic will come back because, so far, Nan's the only one that's worn them on our ship. She wore the blue disco one, which turned out really cool. But yeah, our intention is definitely to do them for both men and women." End quote. Gersha also sat down with one of our favorite podcasts, Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and she hinted at the scant's inclusion with Grace and Jara. Quote, in our show, we've tried to create this non-binary future. And that's sort of what I've been leaning into. So we've been doing tunics, but we're making the tunics for men and women, end quote. So though Phillips doesn't refer to Starfleet mini dresses as scants, but rather tunics, it sounds like we'll be seeing the non-binary uniform later this season in Discovery. I like a scant. I like a scant because it's kind of a joke, right? I like I, I applaud the approach of attempting to use a more uh, a gender non-binary type of dress, um, but I'm not sure the scant is the right vehicle because at this point the scant is kind of a joke. The scant is what guys wear to STLV to raise money for charity because they look so ridiculous in it. I have a lot of faith in Grisha Phillips' designs. So far, um, I think that the costume choices that they've made in Star Trek Discovery have been pretty good. So I will hold back judgment, shall we say. But um, I want the scans to stay like their weird little one or two episode thing in TNG that they were. I, I was happy with that. It worked in the 80s. I don't, know, I don't know that it would translate that well in 2019. A scant scant. Well, Captains, that's it for this week's Trek It Out. But before we move on to Star Trek Online and gaming news, it's time for a word from our friends at Gameprint.net. If you are a collector of Star Trek memorabilia, then what better way to add to your collection than by printing your own custom starship? That's right. You can visit Gameprint.net to select from a massive library of already uploaded ships from players in Star Trek Online. Or if you play Star Trek Online, you can take that ship that you've been flying and love and have it 3D printed from 4 inches all the way up to the newly available 12 inch models. 
And for being a Priority One listener, you can save 20% off your order, no matter what size ship you decide on. Just use coupon code PRIORITY20, that's PRIORITY20, at checkout. Anthony, what made you decide to select that ship of yours? So the ship I selected was the Enterprise NX Refit. And I selected that ship primarily because I had been flying it around recently on my main character, and it was really fun to fly in the game. And I wanted something that I could uh, 3D print and set up you know, on my shelf of, of Star Trek ships that when I looked at reminded me of having so much fun in the game. I also wanted something that isn't a common ship and something that I could really make my own. So I made sure to customize it with one of my favorite vanity shields in the game so that it was really unique. And that's the great thing about game print is that you can select your custom ship. Like Anthony said, not something you can buy from another toy maker, but something specifically designed for you. So remember, upload your ship or select it from their massive library of pre-printed ships and save 20% on all models by using coupon code PRIORITY20 at checkout. That's PRIORITY20. And we thank GamePrint for their support of PRIORITY1. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Earlier this week, Starfleet Intelligence released a memo regarding a decrypted message from the Terran Empire's Special Weapons Field Research Division. The message describes the technological advances of the newly designed cross-field class vessel of the Mirror Universe in the mid-23rd century. The next day, Mike Ambassador Kel Fadum posted the news that a new R&D promotion was starting this weekend, and it will include the new Mirror Universe cross-field class science destroyer as an available Tier 6 starship. This level scaling ship features a Lieutenant Commander Universal Temporal Operative Station and a Lieutenant Universal Pilot Station. It comes with a Universal Console weaponized helical torsion. When activated, the Crossfield's saucer begins to spin, building up mycelial energy. Once charged, the energy begins to pulverize nearby enemies dealing intense physical damage with a chance to briefly hold affected foes. The starship trait, Terran Machinations, which unlocks at Mastery Level 5, will give you a boost to exotic damage when any attack pattern bridge officer ability is activated. Also, when activating a science control ability, this trait will grant a boost to energy weapon haste for a short time. The Mirror Crossfield also comes with an innate power, the Integrated Tactical Mode Transformation Ability. When activated, the starship switches into a tactical configuration, upgrading the Lieutenant Commander Tactical Seat to a Commander Tactical Seat, enabling the experimental weapon slot and increasing weapons power, flight speed, turn rate, and inertia. This also disables Science Mode, downgrading the Commander Science Seat to a Lieutenant Commander, disabling the secondary deflector, subsystem targeting and sensor analysis, and decreasing auxiliary power and shield capacity. A link to the Starfleet Intelligence Memo and stats on the ship can be found in the show notes. So this is really interesting because I don't think we've had a ship that changes its bridge officer seat configuration with a special power before. Yes, I've n I can't think or recall of any ship that allows you to do that. The mechanism behind that, in terms of coding that and making sure that that happens in real time, uh, must have been an interesting little endeavor. Uh, that's definitely a question that I would want to ask 
someone like Jeremy or, or Al Rivera the next time they're on. Absolutely, and not to mention that this is also a scaling starship. So some of those slots and console slots won't actually unlock and until you level them up. So to have that combined with this ability, um, I, 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 don't, I can't even bring in to comprehend how the back end of this works. To boot, you're given a Lieutenant Commander Universal and Temporal Operative, along with a Lieutenant Universal Pilot Station. This is a powerful ship. I, I mean, in tactical mode, this is incredible. Yeah, what's interesting is I think the balance comes in where the mastery trait that they give you boosts exotic damage as well as weapon damage. You typically want to use that with a science ship because you're using the secondary deflector to deal exotic damage. You're also going to be using a lot of the science consoles and things. You immediately want to switch to tactical mode because that's just really cool, turning a science ship into tactical mode. But the trait that they give you kind of makes you want to stay as a science ship. So it'd be interesting to see what traits you might slot in there instead of that one. Uh, if you want to take advantage of the tactical mode. Now, the only way to get this ship is to pray to RN Jesus, right? Because it's in the RNG promotion pack. Correct. And as we mentioned, this Mirror Universe Crossfield class starship is the newest addition to the Tier 6 promotional ship pack, which has a chance at dropping from the R&D packs purchased from the C-Store. You are guaranteed either 10 Lobi Crystals or the Tier 6 ship pack. This promotion lasts from now until April 11th. And to get this promotion started, this weekend will be a research and development weekend on PC. All R&D packs throughout the game will give out an additional 25% materials, with R&D packs earned from TFOs also having a chance to drop a catalyst. Harvest nodes throughout the game will not only give out two extra materials, but will also reward 10 dilithium ore and will have a chance to drop an R&D catalyst as well. R&D school projects will of course be rewarding an additional 50% more XP during this event, which lasts from now until March 25th. Now, this ship can be put on the exchange, no? Yes. So yeah, if you don't want to try to spend a lot of money on R&D packs, you can go ahead and try to drop whatever ludicrous amount of hundreds of millions of energy credits. Right, right. So not only is it a Crossfield class style ship, which is one of the most popular ships in the game at the moment, it's a Mirror Universe version. And one thing we forgot to mention is that during the live stream of the 10 Forward Weekly show that Ambassador Kell does, he had Jet and Thomas on from the ship design department, and they were showing off the new visuals of the nacelles for this ship, which are different from the Prime Universe Crossfield class starship and are based on early concept drawings of the Discovery before the show launched. Moving on in this week's PC patch notes, captains can now queue up for the newest featured task force operation, Peril over Pavo. This TFO will run for three weeks and once completed daily 14 times can earn you the Terran Gorilla Combat Armor, a ground item as worn by Lorca in Discovery Season 1. Also in this update is a change to the damage output for space NPCs level 55 and above. After investigating some complaints over the past couple of months, the developers have decided to make some adjustments. And finally, several ships now have ship parts correctly oriented in sector space, including the Intrepid class, Bird of Prey classes, and Dinius classes. For a list of updates, 
check out our show notes. And captains on console can claim a free Terran sword weapon along with three R&D packs and one small XP boost. Captains with Xbox Gold or PS Plus can claim their Verdant Terran Sword on Xbox or the Cobalt Terran Sword on PlayStation. These items can be claimed for free until June 2019. Console captains can also participate in a Tholian Red Alert weekend from now until Monday, March 25th. Players can queue up for the Red Alert and earn 35 marks of your choice with no cooldown. In other gaming news, Star Trek Timelines is testing a new campaign feature this week. The beta test began for all players on the latest update last Tuesday and will run until Wednesday, March 27th at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The campaign is designed to encourage players to complete their daily missions. Upon doing so, players will earn accolades, which will contribute to unlocking tiers in the campaign. Each tier will reward players with credits, boosts, chronotons, and crew. Unlocking each tier will get them closer to the highest tier, where players can earn super rare and legendary crew. That's it for this week in gaming news. Here for a special interview is Chase Masterson, talking about her pop culture hero coalition, teaming up with the Roddenberry Foundation for National Cerebral Palsy Awareness. Security clearance level three or above is required to access files. This is Captain Benjamin Sisko. Authorization Sisko Alpha One Alpha. Logs accessed. Up next, Captains, we have a real treat for you. I had a chance to talk to Chase Masterson, who most of you will remember as Lita from Deep Space Nine, and of course later as Hollow Lita and Admiral Lita in Star Trek Online. Now, in addition to being a well-known actor, Chase is also the founder of Pop Culture Hero Coalition. She works tirelessly to help deliver her mission of using comics, film, and television to create anti-bullying programs at pop culture events and in schools and communities. One of the really great programs that Pop Culture Hero Coalition is undertaking is its heroic curriculum, helping kids with serious disabilities in schools. Scott Palm is the curriculum coordinator for Heroic, and we'll be hearing from him in a bit as well. But first, Chase Masterson. Chase Masterson, thank you so much for joining me here on Priority One today to talk about Pop Culture Hero Coalition. Hey, Kenna, thank you so much for having us. So for our listeners who maybe aren't very familiar with Pop Culture Hero Coalition, because it's been a couple of years, I think, since the last time we chatted to you about it, can you give me some background on how it started, how you started it, and what your mission is? Yes, thank you. You know, I've always been inspired by the way that Star Trek fans really take this show and make it matter more than just a TV show or movies, but really matter to real life um, throughout my time on Star Trek, I have supported various charities, and I'll never forget when I was on the show particularly, and we would go to a lot of different conventions, and people would show up at the airport or at the convention, you know, and say, hey, we had a Klingon bake sale, or hey, we had a, you know, car wash for your charity. And they would hand me a check for whatever charity we were supporting. Back then it was Children with AIDS. And um, all of that served to have me really reflect on Gene Roddenberry's vision for Star Trek being morality plays. And that that's what he meant. And so in 2013, I started thinking a lot more about that. I was mentoring kids coming out of gangs and realized the incredible amount of hardship in this world and how equality is so far away from from how this world functions and how 
Roddenberry really stood up for 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 people to be inclusive. And so I was thinking a lot about that while mentoring these kids. And then I heard about a little girl named Katie who was bullied in first grade for carrying her Star Wars lunchbox to school. You may have heard of her. her she was uh, yeah, hashtag I remember that story. Katie the Star Wars girl, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. So Katie had all the boys following her around saying, you can't like Star Wars, you're a girl. Well, we all know that's ridiculous. So yeah. <laughs> her mom logged on her blog and she said, hey, would anybody out there send a few words to encourage my daughter just to let her know that she can love science fiction, she can be whoever she wants to be. And hundreds of people posted and the post went viral, thousands of people responded. and. Katie and Carrie were really encouraged and I was one of the people that responded to that saying Katie you get to be whoever you want to be you know bullying is is not okay and you don't have to take it and we're here to stand with you and we all kept in touch and I'll just tell you real fast so Carrie asked me to do an interview for her book and and I I did and she asked me for friends who could do an interview so I put her in touch with Peter Mayhew who played Chewbacca so now Peter yeah. right the real Chewbacca is friends with little Katie who was bullied in oh first grade don't <laughs> screw with us right that's so cool yeah thank you well we all kept in touch and Carrie decided to write a book on ending bullying she's a fantastic writer Harper Collins picked up her book and she asked me to get it into comic-con and I said that's when it all came together, Kenna. I said, yes, I will get your book into Comic-Con, but let's do something more. Let's form a coalition to get as many people from pop culture as we can and stand for Roddenberry's IDIC. Stand for, you know, everyone having a right to be exactly who they are. So we did. And um, I, we formed the coalition in 2013. Um, I had no idea what to do next, but I called the United Nations and I said, hey, um, I called them cold. I looked up the phone number online and I said, um, for United Nations Association in San Diego, I said, this is Chase Masterson from Star Trek, um, <laughs> Deep Space Nine, and I'm doing a coalition to end bullying and you guys end bullying, right? Both countries. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You just looked up the UN in the phone book. I totally did. I, I totally love it. did. And the and fact that I say? was well, the fact that I was from Star Trek got me yeah. through to wow. the president of the UN Association. And she said, Oh my god, we've always wanted to go to Comic Con. Wow. Right? So it really has become apparent that the incredible power of pop culture and the power of pop culture fans, you guys kept this show on the air you know way back when look what it's become there's no limit to the power that your voices our voices as pop culture fans have so we're taking these concepts and putting them to use in real life so uh, we we talked to you I want to say it must have been about 2015 so it was really sort of just starting out um, can you give me a few of your favorite moments from the past couple of years? What are some of the best things that you've been able to achieve with Pop Culture Hero Coalition uh, since you started? Thank you, Kenneth. So we've got programs in schools, Comic Cons, Star Trek Cons, and children's hospitals. 
Um, we've been told repeatedly that our work at Comic-Cons is saving lives. Going in and making a stand for inclusion and letting people know that we see them and not just, we, we're not just preaching tolerance here. We're talking about cherishing exactly who everyone is and letting everyone know that they have a right and a powerful voice and just really being in support of, of each person's individuality. I see that as a very basic tenet of Star Trek. And like I said, we've been told we've been saving lives with bringing that message to Comic-Cons. Early on at Connecticut Comic-Con in 2015, I did a panel for about 20 people. It was one of those really small events and you're thinking, mm -hmm. oh, you know, I hope this matters to someone. And yeah. a woman came up afterward and she said, you should work with Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. And I said, oh, right, I'm a Dabo girl. Sure, have them call me. <laughs> you know, but yeah. we, we don't know our own power. As it turns out, she put us in contact with Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence and the head psychologist there, Dr. Mark Brackett, had a conference call with us and said, we love your work. We love the idea of using Star Trek and other stories to, to teach inclusion and to end bullying. And he said, we have a large outreach in schools, but we don't have anything like this. So Carrie said, I can't, I, this is a, such a great memory. She said, well, then we should create a curriculum and you guys can license it. And I was thinking, oh my God, Carrie, you don't tell Lice, Yale that they can license your curriculum. You just don't do that. It's and, Yale. Right? I know. So right. sure enough, Dr. Mark Brackett came right back with, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So we put our clinical psychologists that we've worked with at Comic-Cons, um, Dr. Janina Scarlett, Dr. Andrea Letamendi, and Dr. Ali Matu, together with curriculum creators. And we have created a curriculum for middle schools to teach bullying prevention and to teach empathy and inclusion. Mm -hmm. um, using pop culture stories from Star Trek and, and other stories that kids love and that they find relatable. And it, people are telling us constantly, I wish we had this program while we were in school, while I was in school. I wish we had this when I was growing up. And I wish so too. But what I do know is that we can put it into action now and people can reach out and support and we really can create a better world if we teach children while they're young to have empathy yeah. and inclusion. Yeah, I really agree with that. Um, that's a really important thing to teach children when they're young and they're forming their worldview. It's really important. Right? Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So one of the reasons that you're here to talk to us today is that we are in the midst of a fundraiser for you and um, your curriculum coordinator for the bullying and prevention program for children and teens with disabilities, uh, Scott Palm, and it's called the Heroic Curriculum. Is that right? Yes, yes it is. Yeah. 
Yeah, so so you're raising money uh, to help support that at the moment, and I'm going to be talking to uh, Scott later on about some of the details of that particular program. Um, but I was interested in hearing from you. Uh, this the heroic curriculum is aimed specifically at supporting children and teens with disabilities. So how does that support the vision of Pop Culture Hero Coalition, and how does that fit in with the larger message that's going on? Thank you for asking. So HEROIC stands for Healing, Empathy, and Resilience for Orthopedically Impaired Children. And this really does harken back to the earliest days of Star Trek. Captain Pike had a physical disability and he needed help, support that he could not give himself. And Spock saved his life and Spock sacrificed everything he had. He was willing to be court-martialed and the penalties were severe, but he made a stand because he knew that he could help and that Captain Pike could not help himself, right? This is the case with our work for, with Heroic for these kids. You know, growing up is hard enough, but being marginalized and bullied for having a handicap must be something that would just be unimaginable. And so we are reaching out with Heroic to serve two purposes. One is teaching kids with serious physical disabilities to have resilience, healthy identity beyond their disability, helping them learn how to break barriers and have other crucial mental health and life skills. Again, helping them work against depression and anxiety and um, and we feel like that's really important. Um, it's again, it's hard enough growing up. So we're helping these kids with disabilities. And we're also teaching their peers to have inclusion, to include them, to end marginalization, teaching them to be an ally, teaching the destigmatization of kids with disabilities. And there's no one better to do that than Scott Palm. He has a long history of being an amazing advocate um, being, I'll just tell you, completely paralyzed with cerebral palsy himself. He, um, he speaks through a communicator and has done incredible work with a, a tenacity that I can only begin to imagine. Yeah, and um, if any of our listeners have been to STLV, you may have seen him at the convention. He's there in his Star Trek gear. Um, you really can't miss him. Um, yeah. and, and coming around and talking to people about these sorts of issues. He's amazing. And I, I will say I'm really proud and grateful. My fan club has for two different years supported, uh, well, actually raised the money for Scott to go to STLV, partly for the joy of that weekend and partly because he's made so many friends. You know, so many of us struggle with isolation, yep. but we can at least get out, you know, and, and have chances. And, and Scott can get out, but not in the same way that so many of us yep. can. And so it's been a, a really great thing for his life. Well, let's talk about Star Trek, the Star Trek community actually for a second, because um, Pop Culture Hero Coalition is um, uh, funded at least partially from donations from the public. Is that right? Yes, it is. Very largely yeah. so. Um, and so, you know, the, the efforts that you're making are funded uh, in part by Star Trek fans. What is the support of the Star Trek community meant to you personally as far as your your efforts go and as far as your ability to achieve the missions uh, that you. you're trying to 
it has been an incredible support. Um, for one thing, uh, the major source of funding that we've had to this point is selling t-shirts. Applying for and receiving grants is a very arduous process. Um, we have, we are piloting our curriculum uh, this year, but until we have research on it, it's very difficult to get grants. So in order to create the curriculum and for all of our convention outreach and running expenses, um, and I'll just say right now, I'm a full volunteer. I've never made a dime off the coalition. Um, and we have an all volunteer admin team. But for our expenses, uh, you know, that we need, the bulk of our money has been raised $25 at a time selling t-shirts that say, be kind. And that's all it says on the front is be kind. And then it has our logo on the back. And I love that that's the main way that we've raised money because it's indicative of the fact that we, none of us have to do a lot, but if we all put in a little bit like $25 for a t-shirt at a time, we work together and we can really create change and make the world a better place. And that's how we've done it. So at conventions, at Star Trek cons and comic cons, and also we have a store online, that's how we've raised our, our expense money. Uh, so talking about that, where can our listeners um, pick up those t-shirts if they want to? Thank you so much. Um, we have a link on our site. It's popculturehero.org slash support dash us. And you can also make a donation there or become a monthly donor, um, which we love and truly appreciate. Any amount is, is good. Um, we really are grassroots, but if we are able to raise more money, we can do more of this work and really, really make a huge difference. People do say we're saving lives. And I just wanted to point out for our listeners that the, the fundraiser that we've been talking about so far is on GoFundMe, and you can actually access that from PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. That will take you straight there. Um, and just for this month, because it's Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, the Roddenberry Foundation will match dollar for dollar any donation that you contribute to that fundraiser. So go to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. That's the best place to go uh, and make a donation and really help us just completely smash that goal. That would be really, really great. <laughs> right on. Yeah. yeah. So Chase, what is, what's next on the horizon for Pop Culture Hero Coalition? You've mentioned that, um, so we're raising money to help support the heroic curriculum right now. And you said that you're piloting your curriculum in schools. What's, what's the next thing on the horizon for you? Thank you. Well, we've got a very multi-platform outreach. So that's the work in, uh, in schools that'll be piloted this year. Mm -hmm. The work in Comic-Cons and Star Trek Cons is ongoing. We'll be at Chicago Comic-Con this week and WonderCon next week and San Diego Comic-Con this summer. I'll be at Star Trek Las Vegas. Um, we've got a lot of different outreaches. New York Comic-Con is always something we go to. Um, so that's our convention outreach. And we've also got a really beautiful outreach in children's hospitals. Um, we, we're honoring a a forerunner in the genre world, Len Wein, who created the character of Wolverine. And he was a dear friend of mine. And when he passed away last year, his wife named us as the charity to honor Len with. So in true comics fashion, because Wolverine you know, started as a comic book, mm -hmm. uh, we created a comic book 
to help kids who are hospitalized and help them navigate depression, anxiety, marginalization, loneliness, and fear. Because it's not because we can imagine or because we've had this happen to us, it's because we can't imagine. It's because there's no way you can even fathom being that person unless you've been there or, or been very close to, to someone who has. So Dr. Janina Scarlett is one of our psychologists and she wrote a comic book which we've turned into a coloring book called Super Kids. And um, it's absolutely amazing. It'll be available on our site. We're distributing it to children's hospitals at no cost to, uh, to kids who can't afford this, this type of treatment. And um, yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot to help kids who are hospitalized in terms of, um, you know, toy drives and things like that. But we really want to reach the heart of it and, and help them with issues that we all face. Right. Wow. It sounds like you uh, have a very busy schedule ahead of you between uh, between the, the Comic-Con outreach and actually all of the initiatives that you're doing with hospitals and schools. Uh, it sounds like you've got a pretty busy schedule. Thank you. It's it's busy. It really is. Um, yeah. Anybody who wants more information on Super Kids or if you would like to be a, a donor or sponsor a hospital or any of that, um, just email us at superkids at popculturehero.org. Superkids at popculturehero.org. And yes, we're busy, but it's so worth it, Kenna. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't be volunteering for going on seven years or in my seventh year if I didn't see the huge benefit and the power of the work we're doing. Well, that's fantastic. So I just want to make sure that our listeners know where they can find more information about Pop Culture Hero Coalition. Uh, you said it's popcultureheroorg is your website? Yes, thank you. Yeah. And do you have a, a Twitter handle as well? We do. It's at Superhero IRL for in real okay. life. At Superhero IRL on Twitter and, and um, Instagram mm -hmm. and Pop Culture Hero Coalition on Facebook. Okay, fantastic. And just a reminder for those of you listening that through the month of March, it's Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, and we are helping raise money for Pop Culture Hero Coalition's heroic curriculum. Uh, and you can find out more information about that at PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. And once again, just a reminder, the Roddenberry Foundation is matching dollar for dollar any and every donation that you make. So please head over there. We want to hit our goal of just over $6,000, uh, which will get matched up to $12,000. It's a pretty hefty goal, but I really think that we can all do it uh, if we work together. Absolutely. So, and it's how Star Trek began with yeah. Captain Pike and Spock standing up for him. So let's do this. Let's stand up for people who need us. Great. Well, thank you so much, Chase, for stopping by. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much, Kenna. Appreciate your support. Next up, Scott Palm. Scott is the Curriculum Coordinator for the Heroic Curriculum at Pop Culture Hero Coalition. He's been a friend of Chase's for several years and now is helping the Coalition expand their reach even further. We're really lucky to have Scott on the show and a special thanks to him for arranging to come on at such short notice. So Scott, before we get started, your answers to our interview today are pre-recorded and our listeners will notice that you speak with the aid of a computer. Can you explain to our listeners what the computer helps you do and maybe a little bit about how it works? 
I have cerebral palsy. Basically, it's caused when certain areas of the brain gets injured or damaged during birth. It was a lack of oxygen in my case. My cerebral palsy affects the motor and speech centers of my brain. That's why I have to use a wheelchair, and that's why I use a communication device. The device is a tablet cased in a high-density shell. It uses software called Unity. Unity uses the icons, or the pictures, on the couch screen which are meanings to words, and each picture can have multiple meanings. I can assign my own meanings as well, and I can combine them into sequences forming the phrases I want to say. Thus, I don't have to spell everything out. Okay, so tell us about your relationship with Pop Culture Hero Coalition. How did you meet Chase, and how did you decide to work together? Chase and I met at a Star Trek convention in Seattle in 2013. It has been like one thing leads to another. So the heroic curriculum is aimed at schools. Why was the approach of working in a school environment appealing to you? I train new caregivers about what they should know before they start working with people with disabilities from a person who is getting services perception. And I have been doing that for a long time so when the opportunity to go to schools and help kids was very appealing when I started my business, Pump Tree Enterprises, I mentored people with communication devices to be better communicators. And my first client was a high school student with a communication device, but wasn't using it at school. His speech-language pathologist had seen me at another event where I announced my services. She had the school district hire me for one, one-hour session a month. I did the first session. I returned the following month, and was told that he used his device to ask everybody in his class how they were. That was the first time he ever had done that. That made me think, if I could do that with one person, imagine what I could do with more people, or a group of people. I could change the world. A huge thank you to Scott Palm and Chase Masterson for joining us on Priority One this week. Once again, to donate to the Heroic Curriculum's March fundraiser and get every dollar matched by the Roddenberry Foundation, just head over to PriorityOnePodcast.com forward slash heroic. Now let's dissect the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery in On Screen. On Screen. Well, Captains, welcome to On Screen, where we discuss the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery. This week, Season 2, Episode 9, Project Daedalus. The Fugitive Discovery crew is joined by Admiral Cornwell, who has concerns about Section 31 and their leadership. Cornwall has been stonewalled by Starfleet Admiral Patar, a Vulcan logic extremist, who has refused to answer her hails and has hindered her access to control, the super important AI that helps Starfleet make equally super important decisions. Cornwell wants Pike's help to get into Section 31 headquarters, arrest Patar, and reset control to accept Starfleet data input codes. In her quarters, the cybernetically enhanced Arium must purge her finite memory in order to function, and what she saves is memories of love life and time with friends, and we are left to assume that her husband died in an accident that left her with the implants. Arium heads to the bridge with Tilly to help decrypt the burst transmission that Tyler is accused of sending to Section 31. As the pair start to make progress, Arium's eyes light red, and she becomes Brainy Arium. She sends Tilly away and begins downloading something. Discovery's arrival at Section 31 headquarters is met with hostility. The starbase is surrounded by mines, which are being remotely controlled and Arium continues her download. The onslaught is countered with some teamwork and fancy flying, but doesn't end until Arium finishes her work. 
A disabled Discovery is hailed by Admiral Petard, who tells them that they are to be arrested, but Cornwell wants the mission to continue. Pike agrees, and an away team is assembled. Non, Arium, and Burnham. The trio beam over, and Section 31 headquarters is a mess. Ice, blood, dead bodies, one of which is Admiral Petard. Back on Discovery, Saru finds that the transmissions received from the deceased admirals were fakes, as was the evidence of Spock's supposed crime. The station, Skynet, has been using information and techniques programmed into its systems to learn and adapt. It is becoming sentient and has murdered the station's personnel in an attempt to continue. Also, Arium has swapped her most precious memories for the AI information from the deceased ancient sphere creature, and she fights to upload the information to control <coughs> Skynet, expediting its own evolution exponentially. She is stopped by Michael Connor, I mean, Michael Burnham, and after becoming lucid as Arium, is blown into space by Terminator, I mean non. Her favorite memory, playing until she blinks from existence. The end. I don't know where to start. <laughs> Why don't we start with touchstones? So first off, they mention Kadaskat, which is a callback to some Voyager episodes. Namely, there's there's a great episode where Seven of Nine and Naomi Wildman play Kadaskat on Voyager. Tilly calls Arium a robot, which is possibly a reference to Futurama, because that's what Zoidberg calls Bender constantly is robot. I thought it was just like an oldie worldy way of saying robot, like a robot. That's what I thought she said. So yeah, Michael Burnham pulls out a 3D chess board to challenge Spock, which is pretty cool. That's obviously a long-standing Star Trek callback. Also, the Discovery kind of referenced itself. Jet Reno is listed on the data usage screen that Tilly is looking at, so we know how much. That's at the end when she points out that Arium has downloaded all of her yep. uh, memories into the ship's computer. Yeah. Right. And Non is apparently the red shirt that just won't die. And I think that it... I love it. If they if they do it in threes, if they do it one more time, where you think... Because we thought she was going to die when they were all in the pods. She didn't. Yep. And then it was. I thought she was dead in this scene. I thought she was dead in this scene. Me too. And then she wasn't. And I think if they do it one more time, it'll be a great, you know... Really? Comedy bit. You so. thought that she was... You thought that she was... Oh, wow. yeah. No, I right. thought she was gone. No way. <laughs> So there's another interesting couple of touchstones that, well, they weren't really touchstones for Star Trek, but a couple of like interesting things to note about this episode. One of which is that this episode was written by Michelle Paradise, who, if you will recall, was recently named as a co-showrunner for season three. So it's likely that this type of storytelling we might see again next season. Now, Elijah, you and I were discussing this next point before the show about Daedalus. Do you want to just tell us who Daedalus is? Yes. So even though the title of the episode was only used in the last scene of the episode. Daedalus is a reference to the, in Greek mythology, Icarus's father. Daedalus is a brilliant inventor, one of which brought him misfortune, including the labyrinth, which holds the minotaur. But he later develops wings that helped him escape prison with his son, who flew too close to the sun, wings melted, 
and he drowned. Yeah, I think basically he's he's a guy that he's sort of the cautionary tale in Greek mythology about a guy who's too brilliant and all of his all of his wonderful inventions come back to hurt him in the end. Another probably insignificant factoid about Daedalus, but it was I, I thought it was kind of interesting when I was reading up on him. Daedalus was uh, like a brilliant inventor, but he hated competition. And he had a nephew that, depending on who you read, was either called Perdix or Talos. And Talos was another brilliant inventor that Daedalus actually attempted to murder. Now, in the story, Daedalus attempted to throw Talos off the Acropolis, and Athena felt sorry for him and rescued him by turning him into a bird. So I thought this was some really interesting imagery and probably completely unrelated to Discovery, but how cool would it be if we ended up tying in Project Daedalus, which is presumably something to do with control, back to Talos IV that we saw just in the last episode. It'd be kind of cool. All right, so why don't we go ahead and dive into what we found lacking in this episode. Anthony, why don't you go ahead and go first? Well, I think there was one big thing that we all had some criticism on this week, and I know, Elijah, that's your point, so you'll mention that later. For me, one of the most awkward moments of this episode was when, shortly after Nan is suspecting Arium of something, she follows her onto the bridge, Arium goes over to her station. They're in the crisis situation of the Discovery going through this minefield, under red alert, shields are now up, and Nan sort of just kind of awkwardly stands by the doorway of the bridge staring <laughs> at the yeah, staring at Arium and it's and and every time the ship shakes she's it's like it's like she's she's awkwardly there trying to stare at Arium and not go to her station which i thought was very odd that in a red alert situation she wouldn't be running to her station and possibly still trying to check on Arium during that but it was just a really awkward, out-of-place moment for me. And, uh, you know, I w- I've watched the episode twice just earlier tonight. And still, it was even worse the second time I watched it. Oh, my God. Speaking of shaking on the bridge, did you guys see the gif going around of Mary Wiseman doing the bridge shake? And she's, like, headbanging. Like, she's <laughs> no, so over-the-top headbanging. And she's next to Michael Burnham. And Michael Burnham just does a quick shake. But... <laughs> Mary Wiseman gives it 110. Per- she gave a she gave a 10, a shake 10, and it's it's hilarious. I'll have to find it. And we'll include it in the uh, the show notes. All right, Kenna, what about you? What did, what did you feel lacked in this episode? So you're going to hate me. I really can't say, I, I really don't have a bad point of this episode. No, and, and hear me out. What? Um, I think there was, no, hear me out. I, I think there was plenty wrong with this episode. Oh. There was a, a lot fell short for me. I still, you know, on the whole, this episode actually grabbed me. It's the first one this season that I've actually kind of was able to enjoy. I think there are still a lot of shortcomings, but <laughs> people who listen to this show have heard all of my shortcomings and, and, we didn't really see any change in any of those particular issues. I have a literal, I have a little uh, mental box that sits next to my desk while I do this podcast and I, I'm locking up all of those things for the time being and trying to just enjoy discovery for, for what it is and trying to see around those issues. So I don't have a bad point to this episode, although I still, it, it still hasn't turned the corner for me. This is not my favorite Star Trek series. So Hannah Cheeseman, definitely delivered in this episode, hands down. I mean, she certainly delivered a great performance. And my con is a con that I've said before, is that I don't, and I specifically with this episode, feel it more so than ever. I don't understand the direction that is that Star Trek Discovery is taking with season two. Arium and her story, I think would have resonated more 
if we were given more time to get to know her. I think back on New Eden. That was a moment where we got to learn more about Awoshiku. She went on an away mission with the team. Then we had short trek, you know, and before that we had short treks where we where we learn about Saru's background. We learn about Tilly and 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 the way she reacts in her short trek. At the very least, and this is to the point that we made in, in Trek It Out. Why weren't we given more time with Arya? I felt it was rushed. I felt that for me personally, it was hard to invest the emotional sorrow when she dies. I just, it was, I felt like non. I was like, oh my God, pull the lever. I get it. We saw flashbacks and I am not Michael. I am not Tilly, but I might've felt more like Tilly, more like Michael and everybody else on the bridge. If over the course of two seasons, we were given more of Arium than the twitchy robot. Is she android? Is she cyborg? Is she alien? What is she? All of that was answered in this one episode that was then airlocked. She deserved more. And some of these plots deserve more time, so whereas others don't. I want to I disagree with you on a small point. I think that there was absolutely ample time to feel emotionally connected to that character and feel the end of this episode. I actually cried at the end of this episode. And I, I agree with you insofar as that character deserved more of a backstory and deserved more of a building up. But I think considering that the story was what it was, the production team did an absolutely fantastic job of establishing this character and attaching you to her, you know, in the hour long. And it wasn't even the full hour. Half of this was Spock and Burnham playing chess, chess. right? Uh, Moody chess, that's right. So I thought given given the material that they had to work with, uh, they did a really, really excellent job. And credit for that goes to Cheeseman. And we'll come back to that in a minute of, of establishing that character. I agree. I 100% agree. If you were to compare this to a stage production, a stage production goes anywhere between an hour to two hours, right? Some three, right? You are expected to invest in a character on a stage production in 90 minutes, you know, in two acts, right? But Discovery is not a siloed stage production. So I have a, I, I, I can't look at it with that lens of, of, well, you know, what if this was a stage production? I can't, I can't look at it that way because Arium is a character that we've been teased with for, you know, over a season, a season and a half now. So I'm not saying that, that they didn't do it well. Well, why don't we, why don't we actually move on? Because we're talking about Arium and her character moments. I, I'd like yeah, to talk so about, let's, let's talk about the pro. Yeah. So I actually had written down here. I actually thought that Arium had some outstanding character moments. And I think that it really is down to the actor, Hannah Cheeseman. The moment, and I, so I was trying to explain this to Anthony before we started the show. It, no other episode of Star Trek Discovery has really got me like grabbed my attention and didn't let it go until this episode. And I can tell you the moment that that happened was when Arium turned to Tilly and said, I'd like you to stand beside me. Do not move until we solve this problem. And by that point, we as the audience knew there was something wrong with Arium, but we didn't know that Arium knew there was something wrong with Arium. And that mo- I'm, li- I'm literally, I have goosebumps right now from that. Cause that was you know, halfway through the episode. From that moment on, you know that Arium is there and conscious of what's happening to her and powerless to resist it. And so that psychological trauma, that psychological horror really sort of grabbed me and she portrayed it exceptionally well. We had these great transitions between the three sort of states of Arium. She was good Arium, where she knew what was going on and she was worried. She had conflicted Arium, where she was conscious of what she was doing, but 
still being controlled. And then we had straight up bad Arium, where she was like this machine monster hurting her friends. And it was seamless transitions between all three of those states, and they elicited different emotions from the audience. I thought that was wonderful. And then the vocal performance in the airlock at the end, where you can you can tell that she is not in control of herself and she's helpless and all she has is her voice to talk to Tilly and to talk to Burnham and she's begging them to save themselves and they're not listening. And it's it's just, it's the whole thing, it makes me upset to list, to talk about it now because it was such an amazing, compelling performance from, from that actor. And I just wish we had more. I just would have liked to see more of her. Right. And, and that goes to my and that goes to my pro, right? That Jonathan Frakes did a phenomenal job telling this story. I go back to my comparison to stage, right? If this was a sing a singular production of something, yes, it was executed well with what the script was given. With what we were given, we emotionally invested it with Arium. But taking that step back, I have a hard time understanding the direction and I wanted more time with Arium. But Jonathan Frakes knows how to tell a story no matter what he's given. Whether it was those intimate moments like you mentioned, you know, or first person views of, of Arium's memories, the fight choreography and the way that was captured to, to the silent credits at the very end. Jonathan Frakes is an amazing television director. Yeah, I actually agree with a lot of what you guys are saying, especially the fact that I really wish, I also really wish that we had gotten more Arium leading up to this. But I also agree with you, Kenneth, that I, I was able to connect with the characters and Arium within this this one episode. And my biggest pro for this episode was just the acting all around. You know, really great moments with some of the, the bridge crew members, like some of the minor bridge crew members, some of the memories that she had and, and those acting moments. And even even Burnham, I mean I, I think Sneak War Martin Green is amazing. I mean I, I really do and I and and I actually enjoyed a lot of the Spock and Burnham moments in this episode as well. But I thought that everybody really shined in this episode performance wise. Can I just point out and <laughs> we can discuss it if we want, but I don't think there's anything to say. Like none of us have barely even spoken about the B plot of this episode, which was a significant portion of the time on screen, but it was Spock and Burnham having an argument in engineering and having like the most tense game of moody chess ever. It just kind of, it just kind of happened, uh, which is a shame because I now I'm left with, well, where, where are we going with this? I don't want to dive too much into that, but all I will say is that says a lot. I think it does. Well, that wraps up this week's On Screen. Next week, we'll be tackling Season 2, Episode 10 of Discovery, The Red Angel. And we want to hear your thoughts. Send us what you thought of the episode, either via social media or via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. And your comments could be part of our discussion next week. Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, Healing Frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Episode 404's community question was not found. It wasn't. Episode 404's community question was, do you play any Star Trek tabletop games? If so, what are your favorites? Via Facebook, Michael Wetgen writes in, homebrews based on Scion and GURPS. Want to get adventures? But that's somewhere over the horizon. Used to play the last unicorn RPG too. That might as well have been in a different language, because <laughs> other than adventures, 
I didn't recognize anything else. No, I would uh, I would point out, Michael, uh, are you aware that the PDF version of Adventures, which is is to be fair, not as cool, is only like sixteen dollars. It isn't it isn't very expensive, so it is quite a low barrier to entry if you're interested in learning more about the system. So worth reading through anyway. And also the uh, Adventures starter kit is only $20 and you get a bunch of stuff with it too. You get it in a box um, and it comes with basic rules and uh, sheets and um, tiles and stuff. It's pretty cool. Or maps, I should say. Yeah. Can I also just say there's a Last Unicorn RPG? I had no idea that was a thing. I am going to need more information about this. Also from Facebook, David Lasker writes... I just started playing Star Trek Adventures with some friends, and I am liking the ability of role-playing in the Star Trek universe at any point in the Prime timeline. My first campaign has us picking up right after the Dominion War ending and putting the Nova class on an exploration mission, which has been entertaining and fun so far. I am looking forward to new source books and compendiums coming out in the future. I'd be curious to find out if if David is actually playing... Uh, live and in person or whether he's doing that online via something like uh, Roll20 because at least around where I am it's uh, there's not an awful lot in the way of groups to join that actually leads us on to our next comment from uh, Sean Newboy on PriorityOnePodcast.com he says I used to play the old FASA Starship combat game but currently I'm in a live gaming dead zone which I, I sympathize with greatly <laughs> Yeah, the fastest system he's talking about is actually a grid uh, system, uh, and it's kind of like a role-playing game. It's really interesting. I actually have a copy of it in the closet that I haven't played yet, but um, if you're interested in that kind of a system, the WizKids uh, Fleet Captains game is very similar to that, and it's a more streamlined, easier-to-jump-into version of that, where you're commanding like a small fleet of three to five ships um, and actually trying to complete missions to score points. It's really cool. And in an email, Skipper8218 writes in, Project Daedalus is a gut punch to me and many other fans. The death of Ariam is hard to watch. Self-sacrifice isn't new in Star Trek, but I have asked myself if Ariam's death will have the same impact as Spock's death in Star Trek II. Unfortunately, it will not because we didn't know Ariam as long. I'm struggling to see how Discovery fits with established canon and really want the TOS canon to be respected, given that TNG and TOS are my favorite series. Project Daedalus is still a great episode, though. I suspect in 20 years' time, we will view Discovery as a prequel to TOS in the same way that we preview Enterprise as a prequel. It's its own thing, but it does eventually lead into whatever in the same universe. Well, that wraps up episode 405 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log and Mission Log Live, Women at Warp, and The Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. And before we go, here's a community question for this week. Would you like to see a spinoff series featuring Captain Pike? Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse? Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11.30 p.m. Eastern on Facebook, Twitch, 
YouTube, and Twitter. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as spotlight some of the amazing members in the community. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, to earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. A very special thanks to our guests, Chase Masterson and Scott Palm. Thanks to our audio editors, including Brandon Parker, James Golding, Rand Hurl, Daniel Stevens, Winters, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the writing of our show and social media endeavors. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. I saw that revolving door picture, Jason. That's fast, you're a fast guy. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Su no. Engage. We also want to let you know about an upcoming event from the Roddenberry Podcast Network. No, no, we don't. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go, ahead. sorry. Go, ahead. go ahead. Go ahead. He's waggling his <laughs> finger at me because I did something that he didn't like. Oh, jeez. Sorry. It worked in the '80s. I don't know. I don't know that it would translate that well in 2019. A scant, scant. A scant, scant. A scant, scant. I'm trying not to laugh. I don't. Yeah, you needed the I day if you contracted all. romaine. I've heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> contracted.
contracted. Hey God, let me fix it for you. Contracted. Contracted. Con there we go. Contracted. <laughs> contracted. <laughs> also in this update is a change to the damage output for space NBC NBCs. NBC. Did I put NBC? No. Including the Intrepid class. Bird of play. By the way, you did put bird of play. No, I didn't. Did I? You did. Oh. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.